promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Hello and welcome back to the Tread Weary podcast. I am your host, Pastor Carlton Smee, and this is the audio arm of TreadWeary.com, where we gather around the Word of God to see what it is that God is doing for us, robbing us of all our attempts to try and do whatever we can for him in the sense of uh, trying to make ourselves worth it or, or trying to make ourselves enough and realizing that our enoughness comes in Christ And we've been going through the Gospel of John, and we've been looking at it through a lens of worship uh, to try and see where it is that God is doing uh, a work for us. Because the reality is, is that all of us get on this treadmill, regardless of whether we are religious or not, regardless of how Christian you are or how not Christian you are. We get on this treadmill and either consciously or subconsciously, we think we are doing things that are Christian. We, we tend to create these boxes, these lists that we say, okay, I have to do these things and not do these things. And, and we, we get ourselves in trouble because we realize, we, we try to see that, that our life in Christ is about our doing rather than it's about what has been done by him for us and that we have been freed by him from our concerns over redeeming ourselves from our own sin, saving our own souls. And So today, part of what we are going to be doing is we're going to be going through John 17. It is a rather long chapter, so we're going to get right to it here. But it is his high priestly prayer. It's this prayer that Jesus does uh, for his disciples and for you and me. And we're going to be seeing how it impacts our worship life, but even more so how it impacts our understanding of Christ and what the gospel is, and what we look for in him and in God. But let us read John 17. Get your Bibles out. John 17. We'll be starting at verse 1 and going all the way through. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave, you gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them and know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I'm asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me because they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except for the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, 
And I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I've given them your word, and the word the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they may also be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they, that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would make us one, unify us in Christ. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds to understand your word this day, that we might know what that means. In your name we pray. Amen. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. This glorify, that's a, it's a weird word. Duxazo is the, is the uh, verb in the Greek. And it means to enhance the reputation of her, to clothe in splendor, to make splendid, to, to, to make great. To, to glorify being to set someone high, to, to make them more than, than what others maybe have made them. And here he's saying, the hours come, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all people. That Christ first prays that God might intensify Christ's reputation, not for his own sake, but so that he might also then strengthen the reputation, enhance the reputation, clothe in splendor the Father, and, and to do this through the authority that he has over all flesh. That's, a, that's the word there. We, we translate it all people usually, but it's all flesh, all, all matter, all things that, that have bodies. And it, it makes you wonder if in our worship, for instance, since we, we are talking about this through worship, is that our prayer too, that, that Christ might be glorified so that God might be glorified so that it might be, it might go out to all people, to all flesh, that all flesh might glorify the Son and glorify the Father. I wonder if that is our, if that is our goal or not. Also here he says that, that, that you've given me authority over all flesh, all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. The, the, the idea being that God has given to Jesus the power to give eternal life away and to give it to all those who have been given to him. So there's this, this interplay. God is giving to Jesus 
power to give something to people that God has given to Jesus, these people, us. And, and, and then what ends up happening? We are told what eternal life is. To know God, the only true God, and to know Christ, who has been sent by God, to know the Messiah. So, so to know God intimately, to, to know him more than we even know ourselves, maybe, and, and, and to know Christ, the one who has been sent, to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, the one who has been sent to redeem us, to rescue us. The, the, the reality to, to know God and to know Christ is to know that our life is wrapped up only in God, only in Christ, to, to trust in him as the one who gives life to all things. And all of it comes down to eventually us increasing the reputation of God, clothing him in splendor because he deserves it. He's the only one that deserves it because not only does he give us material life on this earth for our short lifespan, but then also he hands to us eternity, eternal things, things more than what flesh and bone can, can comprehend in and of itself. And so here Christ first, he prays, that 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 God might be glorified and that he might be glorified even in the cross he says to 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 be glorified in the fact of of what it is that Christ was sent to do which was to take that cross then secondly he he prays for God to protect his people the these ones that he has made his name known to if, if you see that, I made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world, the disciples. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. There's this action of election there, God's doing, which, which we don't like because we are individualists by nature. Our sinful nature causes us to want to be individualists, wanting to, to take care of our own stuff. And God steps in. And he becomes the preemptive strike against our sin for us. And he takes us from the world and hands us to Christ on a silver platter that we might be redeemed by him. And it's, it's interesting, too, though, that, that first, before Christ prays for protection, he, he, he makes a distinction. He says, I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you have given me because they are yours, which is a weird, weird thing because we should be playing, praying for the world. But this is Christ praying right now, specifically for his disciples, because remember, he's on his way to the cross. He's on his way to death. He's on his way to a place in which the, the disciples might feel like they have lost. And then John is writing to a church that is under persecution, that is almost going to go into extinction because of bad theology. A theology that basically wants to deny the, the, the God nature of, of, of Jesus. And here John is writing to say, you know, we're, we belong to God. And, and then Christ does pray for this, this protection. He, he prays that we might be protected in his name that has been given to him by God, or even more so protect them in your name that you have given me, uh, God's name that has been given to Christ. Why? Because Christ is God. He's God's word incarnate. He is, 
God's sermon put into a, a, a meat suit. And, and his call for protection is that we may be one as, as, as they are one, joined together as one. And, and remember, as I said, this is at a time, uh, John is writing at a time where, where the church is having a lot of issues, but there's this call for protection in part to protect ourselves from one another from division that we might bring, but also to protect us from our own uh, ingenuity, our own desire to try and, and, and bring God down to our level when it is God who comes down to our level on his own terms. And then here he, he, he talks about how they, they, they were guarded by his name and, and that scripture had to be fulfilled even in Judas and and now he says i'm i'm coming to you and that his joy is going to be complete in in his disciples and then he says that he has given them he has given them your word and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as i do not belong to the world i'm not asking you to protect them to take them out of the world but i ask you to protect them from the evil one. This is an interesting passage because this is where we can cause some conflict between segments of, of the Christian population. I, I serve down in a place in which there's a, a high Amish population, and the Amish are very well known for, for segmenting themselves out of the world in many ways, although I did see an Amish buggy go through the, the Dairy Queen uh, drive through um, But... <laughs> But there's this fine line, right, between just sloughing off the entire world and being Christians in the world in the sense of not having our life defined by what the world defines life by, having our life defined by Christ and who Christ is, and yet we have to live in the midst of a world that wants to say that is wrong. And that is why our worship needs to be distinctive in the sense of it needs to be based on the glorification of Christ, of who he is, what he has done, and then to receive from him the benefits that he gives to us. Worship being this place in which God gives to us all of his goodness, all of his life, all of the forgiveness that we need, all the mercy, all the grace, and we respond in, in glorifying him for, for what he has done and not allowing our worship to be turned into entertainment, not allowing our worship to be turned into a glee club, not allowing our worship to be turned into a nice little sing-along or a, a time to get together and gossip over coffee or, or whatever, to, but to actually be a time in which we are pulled away from the world for a moment to be gifted with the gifts that we need in order to protect us from the evil one, the one who comes to tempt us, to, to rob us, to, to harm us because he doesn't like us. And, and much of the world doesn't like us because of our distinctiveness as Christians, in which more often than not, at least it should be, we look weird. We, we shouldn't be taking sides politically in the sense of saying, well, this political party is Christian or that political party is Christian, because I hate to say it, number one, politicians are hypocrites. Uh, but number two, no political party in our country has it all right. <laughs> They're going to have their major issues. No church, no denomination has it all right. They're going to have their major issues. 
but it comes down to this extension, this, this, this proclamation of God's word that comes to give life that they might know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom God has sent to us. And Christ makes this distinction that we don't belong to the world just as he doesn't belong to the world in the sense that our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven, as Paul writes to us, but, but that we, we belong to God. We belong to Christ. We have been bought as a, at a price. And, and, and so the things that the world tries to buy us with need to be cast aside because it is in Christ that, that we have been bought. And, and so Christ here is, is reminding of us, reminding us of that in his prayer. But then he prays that we might be set apart, that we might be, it says here, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify us, set us apart not based on custom, not based on voting patterns, not based on choice of music, not based on a ludifisk suppers or, 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 or language or anything like that. Set us apart by your word. Jesus is asking God to sanctify us, to set us apart by his word, by his truth, by the reality that God is God and we are not, and he sent Christ to save us from the fact that we try to make ourselves God <laughs> is basically what it comes down to. to, to set us apart even from ourselves as what might need to happen. And then he's this beautiful text, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That's verse 18 of chapter 17, by the way, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Imagine that the the church and Christians, individual Christians, you're you're tasked with what it is that Jesus was sent to do. And it's not a bunch of social programs. It's not uh, a bunch of things to make ourselves feel better. It's 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 not trying to save the world. It's the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, because of His cross. But also, it's being sent into the world as crucified ones, as ones who have been crucified, buried in Christ, and raised to new life. And that is what God is doing in Christ for us. And that is what we have to hold to. And then he says, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself, or I set myself apart, so that they also may be sanctified in the truth, so that so that." We know where Christ is and we know where he stands and that he has set himself apart as something distinctive from the world that we go to know him. We go to seek him. We, we get drawn to him by God giving us to Christ. And we pray for that all the time. Parents, do you pray that your kids might be gifted to Christ? We, we do it in their baptism. But do you pray for them that they might know that to be true in what it is the promises are that were given in baptism. Do, do, do you pray for it that, that your children might realize that they are a gift that God has given to Christ to be redeemed by him? That, that it is not our faith that saves them, it's not our traditions, it's not our work, and it's not theirs either, but it is Christ. And that our worship should be instilling in our children 
that same thing here here with with Christ's prayer. He he's modeling for us this prayer for us to first be praying that Christ might be glorified through his gospel that then we might be protected and our children might be protected from the evil one from from sin from death from the devil uh, from from ourselves that they might be set apart in Christ and but then also praying that they would be a gift that God gives to Christ and Christ gives to God through what it is that he does in his blood. Well, now we get to this very, <laughs> this very interesting section because here Christ is praying for you. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. So often, church, we want to turn the gospel into a work. But in reality, it is a word. The church is based on a word, a truth of knowing God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. That it is based on a testimony. It's based on what someone else says to you of this Christ, one who speaks into your ear that you might be a truster, a believer, but a like truster better, one who turns their trust away from themselves, away from the world, away from their favorite football team, away from their spouse, away from their kids, away from their work, away from whatever, and it comes to God and Christ. And here he prays that we might be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, They may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is not about blind unity. This is not about joining up in one worldwide church and compromising on certain things. Because there's going to be differences in local congregations between how we choose to pray, maybe what language we use, maybe um, a different, uh, maybe a different um, style of worship, maybe a different liturgy a different history, all sorts of things like that. And so there's going to be differences in churches. There's going to be differences in denominations. There's going to be differences in all sorts of things. And so there's going to be what looks like division. And and that could mean that, you know, it doesn't mean that we get together as one gigantic church on a Sunday with all these other little churches, but it does mean that on Sunday, what happens in the pulpit should be the same. This proclamation of Christ, what happens in our prayers should be the same. This proclamation of salvation coming in Christ, redemption, forgiveness of sins, this, this, this gifting that God gives to us through his Son, and that this unity is not one of, well, we're going to do the same, we're going to speak the same, we're all going to believe the same, and everything is going to be fine. Because that's not it. What it is about, though, is that we, we gather around the Word and we gather around the gifts of God gifted to us. And that becomes the unifying factor of Christ, united in Christ and his death. That is the goal. And here, Christ is praying for that. He's praying that there might be unity of the body in the cross, in Christ, 
Why? Because it is the sinner in us who is the divider. It's the sinner who wants to say, well, that's not the right Jesus or whatever. Instead of just saying, no, it comes down to the cross and it comes down to Christ. It comes down to the fact that I can call Catholics, my brothers and sisters, because there's a lot of things in the Catholic church that are wonderful. And there's a lot of things that are not the, and a lot of them come down to the institution, not down to a lot of the proclamation, although we could get into that, but it's the same with Baptists, same with Lutherans. It's the same with Methodists, the same with wherever, but it always has to come back to the fact that on a hill outside Jerusalem, 2000 years ago, Jesus Christ died for you was placed in a tomb, and now that tomb is empty, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And Christ eventually does pray that we might be with him. He wants us to be with him. And so he says, Father, please make sure that the construction work continues, (laughs) that the mansions are fixed, that there is a place for these people to be with us. And here he concludes by saying, I made your name known to them and I'll make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. See, the unity comes down to what it is that Christ has done and what God has done in Jesus. And that becomes the focus of all things for us. And we pray today that that might continue that, that the cross might be regularly preached, Christ crucified might be regularly preached, that we might understand that that is our life and our salvation. Well, church, go in peace. Serve the Lord. I pray that God's blessings would be with you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>